Hi, it's Carolina. I'm so excited that you could join us on the City Point Redcliffe podcast. We're about to go into a message that I delivered recently, and I hope that it encourages you, it inspires you, and it launches you further in your walk with Jesus. That's my heart for you as you listen. If it does encourage you, why not share it with someone who you think could do with hearing it as well? And subscribe so that you don't miss any of the messages that are uploaded every single week. For now, sit back, enjoy, and I hope that you get blessed. All right, well, here we are. We are in the theme of Up and Out. We're in the theme of the Upper Room. You know this, told you this every week for however many weeks it's been so far in 2023. And we are almost at the end of February. Crazy. And so we've been focusing on the Upper Room. Last month, we talked about going into the secret places with God. And this month, we're focusing on, well, once... We've done that, and it's not like we do that once. We do it all the time. We go into the upper room with God every day and all throughout the day. But the purpose is then that we turn outwards. And so today we're talking, this week we're talking about out. Going out, what does that mean? And so, you know, when we turn outwards, you know, we, we know Sunday's an amazing experience. We know our, our quiet time with the Lord is an incredible experience. It's, it's a place that we're built and we're strengthened And then we go out into the world and we know that in the world it's challenging and it's confronting and it's real life. You know, we often say Sunday's awesome, but Monday cometh. You know, it's this notion of when I go out, I face the world. And and what does that mean? And what does it mean in a culture that is doesn't have a biblical foundation, doesn't have a Christian worldview? Your workplace is counter kingdom. You don't go in and there's worship music playing in your workplace and people are talking about the devotional time they had with the Lord that morning. They're not asking you what your prayer requests are and they're not praying over their lunch. They're doing things far from that. They actually don't even know Jesus and they're opposed actually to the things of the kingdom. And so we go into that culture. So what does it mean to go out? We live in a culture that's against God's standards. We live in a culture where the education, media, and secular society are actually not just indifferent or ignorant, they're opposed. They're actually opposed to the things of God. And so I want to ask this question, answer this question this morning. Can a Christian be a culture setter? Can you and I go into a culture like that and set culture? Your friends have different beliefs, your peers might give you a hard time. Your family don't even understand your work, walk with God. So how do I go into those spaces and change culture? How do I impact my generation? We exist to unmistakably influence the world for good and for God. How do I do that? Is it even possible? And I want to share this morning out of the life of Daniel, who's one of the prophets in the Old Testament. And if you want to know how to live your life, spend a month in the book of Daniel and meditate your way through it. And I guarantee you, you will get keys and your life will be strengthened in the book of Daniel for what to do every day of the week. Daniel was, one, was a Hebrew boy. He was a Hebrew boy. He's one of God's chosen nation, Israel. And at the age of about 15, 14, 15, the Babylonian king took captive 
the Israelite nation. And he abducted all the young men, forcefully removed them from their homes. I don't know if you have a 15-year-old son or a 13-year-old son. I don't know if you remember being that age, but imagine a whole nation where those boys are forcefully removed from their homes, Christian homes, good godly Hebrew homes, by an ungodly Babylonian king, forcibly removed and then brainwashed for a number of years into the code of the world. I kind of felt like that when I went to university. I felt like I'd gone to Babylon. There were some subjects where I literally needed prayer counseling and purging. But this is what happens in the world. We go out there and the code of the world, the code of Babylon, whenever the Bible refers to Babylon, it's referring to the world. And here we have an ungodly Babylonian king forcibly removing a whole generation of young men and bringing them into his courts and training them in, for service in the Babylonian system. And in his training, this young man named Daniel refuses a few of the things that are being put on these young men. And it's actually only Daniel and three of his friends who stand up out of the whole generation camp. It's only four young guys that stand up and he says, you know what, I'm, I understand I have to be here. I have no choice in this, but is it all right if I don't eat the food that you're giving us and I don't drink the wine that you're giving us because I have a pre-existing commitment of diet to the Lord? And so the eunuchs who are in charge of the care of all the young men, they're in charge of training them and developing them. They say, well, Daniel, we're worried that you're going to look gaunt and scrawny and neglected. So we're not easy with this decision. And he says, you know what, just try me for a few days. And he does. And so they let these young boys go without the feast on the table and the wine on the table. And it's proven after this short testing period that these four boys are actually fitter and sharper and better than everyone else. So they're like, okay, we'll let you continue with your pre-existing commitments. Daniel 1 verse 8, but Daniel made up his mind that he would not defile. Defile, this is what we do when we partake of the world. He determined in his mind that he would not defile, taint, dishonor himself with the king's finest food or the wine with which the king drank. So he asked the commander of the officials that he might be excused so that he would not defile himself. And he was found to be 10 times better than all the magicians and enchanters and all the other men who were being trained and in the service of the kingdom. 10 times better, it says in verse 20. And then at one point, this king starts having these weird dreams that are disrupting him. King Nebuchadnezzar is disturbed in his sleep. And so he starts asking his wise men, his astrologers, his magicians, his magi, can you explain these dreams? And none of them can. And he's like, what good are you guys? I have this whole cohort of people who are supposed to help me in these matters and no one can tell me what these dreams mean. And, you know, so he's, he's enraged and he's frustrated and he's unsettled. So the solution he comes up with is just kill a lot of them. They're a waste of time. They're no good, right? Right? There's no such thing as HR in those days. Dear Jesus. And so he says, just get rid of them. Daniel, because he knows he's one of them, 
he's at least being trained to be one of them. He knows his name, his neck is on the chopping block as well as everyone else. And so before he even knows what to do, he puts himself out there and he says, get me, can I have an audience with the king? I'll solve the king's problem. And so he gets an audience with the king. But what I love is that he hears about it and he asks for an audience and then interprets the king's dreams. Daniel 2, 27 to 28. Daniel answered the king and said, regarding the mystery about which the king has inquired, neither the wise men, enchanters, magicians, nor astrologers are able to answer the king, but there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets and he has shown the king, King Nebuchadnezzar, what will take place in the latter days, in the end days. This was your dream and the vision that appeared in your mind while you were in your bed. And he interprets this dream. And so the king promotes him. He promotes him. He rises to the top through godly wisdom. And Daniel then also requested the promotion of his friends. So Daniel and his three friends, you might remember them from Sunday school, Shadrach, Meshach, and Bendigo. They're all promoted and they become officials in the king's court. And he becomes a statesman. He becomes a counselor to kings. In Daniel's lifetime, he serves under three ungodly kings. And there are seasons of silence in Daniel's life where he seems forgotten and underlooked, overlooked. Another king named Belshazzar turns up and he starts leading and he's a party animal and he throws these huge like drunken parties and, and this one night, this is some say it might have been 20 years later, one night they're partying and, and there's in, in the supernatural writing starts appearing on the wall like a hand is writing something on the wall that they can't read. And again, all of the wise men and the magicians, no one can decipher what's being written on the wall, but there's one guy there who goes, oh, hang on. I remember years ago, there was this guy, I think his name was Daniel, and he did something along these lines. Why don't we call him in? I don't know whether you've ever felt overlooked and forgotten. Surely Daniel thought that for many, many years. And suddenly someone's knocking on his door saying, the next king, Belshazzar, he's waiting for you to come and tell him what's going on in his party banquet. And so he comes in and he interprets, he deciphers the writing on the wall by the inspiration of the Lord. And he's able to tell Belshazzar what the writing means. Immediately, immediately the king is overturned and King Darius comes in. King Darius has already heard of Daniel. He's already aware of him and he's already made intentions to promote him as one of his main men. And so he gets promoted and sets him, he intends to set him over the whole kingdom. But this time, Daniel's got peers who sabotage his promotion. I don't know whether you've ever been in that position, where there's someone out for your blood. There's someone out to throw you under a bus to make you look bad and to sabotage your career, your forward path out of jealousy. And they trick the king and they flatter him. You know, sometimes the best form of self-promotion is flattery. And they flatter the king. They're like, hey, hey, Darius, you're awesome. Have we told you lately how awesome you are? And he's like, oh, well, 
tell me again. And so they're like, you're so awesome that you should make a law. No one's allowed to pray to anyone but you. No one's allowed to worship anyone but you. The reason they do this is because they know that several times a day, Daniel, the guy who's going to be promoted above them, goes and prays to the Hebrew God. They know that several times a day, Daniel worships the Hebrew God. And so they've got a plan. They're hatching a plan. And so Darius is like, that's a great idea. You know what? Here's my royal seal. Why don't you go and make this decree that no one's allowed to pray or worship to any other God. And Daniel, guess what he did? He ignored the decree. He ignored it. In Daniel 6 verse 10, When Daniel knew that the document was signed, he went into his house, now in his roof chamber, with the windows open, not hiding, not retreating, not secretly doing this in case I offend anyone. He goes up to his roof chamber with the windows open towards Jerusalem and continues to get down on his knees three times a day, praying and giving thanks before his God as he had been doing previously. The other leaders, jealous leaders, catch him out on purpose. They dob him in. Darius realizes he's been tricked. And so by order of his own edict, he has to throw Daniel into the lion's den. And the king is nervous the whole night, interceding for Daniel the whole night. The king doesn't even believe in Daniel's God, and he's praying to Daniel's God. He's like, I like this guy. And so in the morning, he rushes to the den, and he finds Daniel there, and he's fine. And Daniel says, I'm good. The Lord sent an angel who kept the lion's mouth shut all night. And so he draws Daniel out, and he throws in the guys who framed him and proves the lions actually were really hungry all night and they were devoured instantly by these lions. And so the same men who set him up were thrown in and destroyed. And so Daniel is then a mouthpiece again and the king honours Daniel's God and he honours Daniel. And so he's used as a redemptive mouthpiece. He's used as a redemptive solution in an ungodly system. Is it possible to honor an ungodly boss without compromise? Well, Daniel tells us absolutely, and actually, that's the mantle that's on your life. That is what you're called to do. There are strategic moments in Daniel's life where God used him to speak up for the voiceless, to confront prideful kings and to restore the nation. Daniel was just a teenager when he was abducted and then he served right through his life. He never got a break from Babylon. He was consistently in that system and he never buckled under it. He stood his ground. He kept his integrity. Is it possible to honor without compromise? You know, God is raising up today a generation of men and women who will conduct themselves with integrity and present truth. In the days of the prophets, which we are in now, the days where we stand before ungodly kings and declare the truth of the kingdom, the way to set culture requires three things that I want to look at this morning out of the life of Daniel. The first one is you have to have an excellent spirit. You have to be unoffendable. 
and you have to live by convictions. Number one, having an excellent spirit. It says Daniel had an excellent spirit. It says it several times, Daniel had an excellent spirit. What areas in your life, in your workplace, in your family, in your friendship groups are you cutting corners? God wants you to have an excellent spirit. If you're going to set culture, you have to have an excellent spirit. Excellence has to be your middle name. Have an excellent spirit. People with an excellent spirit are problem solvers. Do you know it doesn't take a spiritual gift to see problems? Everyone can see problems. I often say problems are like armpits. Everyone has them, and they usually stink. Opinion, just opinion, is really boring. Really, really boring. It doesn't take a spiritual gift to have an opinion, to see a problem. It takes a spiritual gift to solve a problem. People with excellent spirits are problem solvers. Do you know the way that Daniel approached life, the way that I approach life, the way that you approach life is I'm a solution looking for a problem. I'm a solution looking for a problem. Why? Because you have the creator God's spirit inside you. You have creative ability in you. The spirit of God who is creator and creative is inside you. That means any problem you come up against, you have the creative spirit with you to bring a solution. Problem solvers. Anyone can be a problem solver, but a culture set, anyone can be a problem seer, but a culture setter is a problem solver. Greatness, greatness is on the other side of inconvenience. And it's doing what everyone else is avoiding. It's on the other side. We all want greatness, but we don't want to go through the inconvenience to get there. Very few people get there because those few people do what the masses are avoiding. Cultivate an excellent spirit. The church is filled with men and women who know how to lead their own lives well. Who deny the spirit of chaos and crisis and confusion and drama. Do you know one of the mantras in my household is, we don't do... drama. The church is filled with people who lead their lives well. It's the enemy who's the spirit of confusion. It's the enemy who's the spirit of chaos. And you are bigger and better and tougher than him. And so it's the spirit of God in us that causes us to be excellent. I'm not saying chaos won't come. I'm not saying destruction, disappointment, disillusionment won't come. He will try his best. The enemy will give it his best shot. But those filled with the Spirit of God have an excellent spirit. They have a problem-solving spirit. You may cry tears, but your tears are filled with hope. Your tears are filled with promise. 
your tears are filled with the truth of the Spirit of God. I'm not saying the hardship won't come, confusion won't come. Daniel was under it every day of his life, but he had an excellent spirit, a rise-up spirit. We need to diligently value the influence that God has placed on our lives. Diligently value the influence God has put on your life. To be an influence in the world, a culture of excellence is not the same as a culture of perfection. It's a posture of God deserves the best and I'm filled with his spirit. I do what I do, God does what he does and together we change the world. We stand out from the pack. We gain favor with kings. In our workplaces, we should be an answer to our boss's problems. I didn't say you should be one of your boss's problems. Every one of your bosses should have a testimony about you that speaks of an excellent spirit, that speaks of a servant, that speaks of someone who turns up early, goes above and beyond, does more than what's required, that lifts the workplace, that makes things better. You should have that testimony following you if you want to be a Daniel, if you want to change culture. The voice of the flesh, the voice of the flesh speaks the voice of laziness. But the voice of the spirit speaks the voice of of excellence. You are God's ambassador. You represent him everywhere you go. Please don't be a poor brand representative. Some Christians, I feel like saying to them, please don't tell anyone you're a Christian. Please don't. I'm like, ugh, gross. You're a brand representative. You are God's ambassador here on this side. And so the excellent spirit changes the world. Well, we do it all in our own strength, right? No. Where did Daniel get his strength? Where did he get his excellent spirit? You know how many people ask me for pastoral appointments? Too many. And my response wants to be, no. Not until you fasted for three weeks. Not until you've been on your knees. Not until you have been in every church service that we open. Not until you've been at every remnant room. Not until you've sought the face of God for yourself. And once you've done that for three weeks, if you still need to see me, I'm all ears. I'm all ears. This is where we get it, guys. Right here. I can lead you and I can pay a price for you. And you need to know that I do. I fast for you. I grieve for you, I pray for you, but at some point, you've got to get your own story with Jesus. Jesus is the only place I know where to go. And if you thought that you were coming to a shiny, flashy church with like amazing strategies, 
I'm sorry. The only plan I have is Jesus. Follow me and I'll take you to Jesus. It's the only place I know where to go because it's the only place I've been. That's any difference that empowers, that transforms, that enlightens, that brings life and strength. But at some point, you've got to recognise you're not worshipping me or a system or a program. At some point, you've got to recognise this is the only place that will bring transformation to your life. And it's only, you know, they say that Jesus' battle was won at Golgotha. No, it wasn't. His battle was won in Gethsemane. When he, as a human, cried out and he said, God, I don't want to do this. Because some days you're going to go, I'm not strong enough. I'm not enough. God, is there any other way? And when you come here and you're stressed out of your brain that you're sweating drops of blood and you can finally say, but you know what? Actually, not my will, God, but your will. That's when you can get up and act in obedience. That's when you can stand before Darius and Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar. That's when you'll actually make a difference because it's the Spirit of God that's flowing through you now, not the Spirit of flesh. Culture setters are unoffendable. Unoffendable. Culture setters are unoffendable. If you honestly read any of the giants of the faith in the Scripture, you will recognise that their lives were filled with opportunity to be offended, that they denied, 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 denied. 2 Timothy 2, 23-26 Have nothing to do with foolish and ignorant speculations, useless disputes over unedifying and stupid controversies. Since you know that they produce strife, strife among you, and bring about quarrels. The servant of the Lord must not participate in quarrels, but he must be kind to everyone, even tempered, persevering with peace, and he must be skilled in teaching, patient and tolerant when wronged. He must correct those who are in opposition with courtesy and gentleness in the hope that God may grant that they will repent and be led to the knowledge of the truth, accurately understanding and welcoming it, and that they may come to their senses and escape the trap of the devil, being held captive to him to do his will. We need to be aware that we're not doing the will of the devil by being offended and caught up in useless controversies, unedifying disputes, strife, quarrels, when you're offended, you are doing the work of the enemy. And there are going to be daily opportunities to get offended. Can I tell you, here's a tip. Here's how to get offended in church. Keep coming. Keep coming. Money back guarantee. And there are so many arrows of offense, rejection, Abandonment, where you feel alone, unseen, unimportant. Stop listening to the enemy who's telling you that. It's a weapon where you're going, why bother? No one cares. God cares. God sees you. 
the arrow of discouragement and disappointment. Well, nothing's working out. Everything's falling apart. Where is God in all this? Can you just see the signature of Satan on that? Pride. Pride is a sneaky one. It's when the Christian goes, well, that's, that's not right. This self-righteousness that wants to point out the speck in someone else's eye when you've got a log hanging out of your own. And everyone has to duck when you move around because your log's like taking people out. You know, because there are people pinned up against the wall and you're like, whoa, must be plank eye in here. Pride, pride. But we have to be like Daniel and be unoffendable. He was abducted, reprogrammed, denied a life of his own, sabotaged by his colleagues, overlooked decades at a time, and yet remained unoffendable and submitted to the will of God. Why? Probably because he was on his knees three times a day, surrendering to the will of God, like Jesus. Well, God, actually, not my will, but your will. Actually, whatever you want to do. The truth is, in life, you will get hurt. You will. You will get hurt. Pain is inevitable, but misery is optional. Pain is inevitable, inevitable, Pastor Mark Ramsey, but misery is optional. We get to choose. We get to choose. We get to choose. And finally, church, why don't we all stand to our feet? We need to live a life of conviction. Daniel lived by conviction. I love this. I love this. You need to decide. You need to decide and then not change your mind. You need to decide and then not waver. You need to live by conviction, no matter what the culture says, no matter what your friends say, no matter what the government says, no matter what the boss says. Live graciously and honorably and humbly by conviction. May your conviction outweigh your fear. We all have fears. And there are some times where our convictions have to outweigh our fears if we're going to do the will of God. Apparently, Daniel had pre-existing commitments to the Lord regarding his diet. And so he asked if he could abstain from what the world was offering. We need to honor our convictions Jesus said it like this, Matthew 5, 37. But let your statement be yes, yes, or no, no. Anything else is from the evil one. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. The enemy is relentlessly trying to get you into a place where you will compromise. Let me say that again and hear my words. The enemy is relentlessly, unceasingly, constantly trying to get you into a position where you will compromise. And he doesn't start big, he starts small. So that before you know it, you're way off track. You need to live by conviction. His tactics usually boil down to one of two things that we can see in the book of Daniel. It's the fear of missing out, FOMO. Hashtag FOMO. If you don't eat, this food and drink this wine, then you'll be gaunt and deprived and skinny. 
If you don't go to the party, then you won't be cool. If you don't do this little compromise on the books, then you're going to go bankrupt. If you don't do this, then this. It's the fear of what might happen. The fear of missing out. And he's constantly speaking that language. Or he'll speak threats. If you do live by convictions, you're going into the lion's den. It's either FOMO or threats. Usually boils down to one of those two things. Are you tough enough to stand in the face of either one and go, well, no, I know that I'm not going to miss out because God's my source. God's my provider. And when I do things according to His kingdom, there's no possibility of missing out because God's my source. And He promises and actually watch me go over and above. Watch me exceed. Watch me not only prove you wrong, but shock you because the way that God's kingdom works doesn't even make sense. Or can you stand in the face of a threat and go, even if you throw me into the den, I will not bow down. Even if you throw me into the fire. I know, and this is what Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego said, Daniel's friends. Even if you throw me into the fire, we know that God is well able to deliver us. But even if He doesn't, still not bowing the knee to any other God but God. Can you be a culture setter? Yes, you can. Yes, you can. On your knees, He will give you strategies. On your knees, He will give you insights. Why don't you close your eyes for a moment? Thank you for listening. We pray that this message inspires you to unmistakably influence your world for good and for God. Go ahead and share it with a friend. And can I invite you to connect with us on one of our many social media platforms as well? Most importantly, if you made a decision to follow Jesus, I want to say congratulations. This is the beginning of a life-changing journey. We'd love to see you at one of our many City Point Church services around the world this Sunday. And you can find out more about our service times and locations at citypointchurch.com. We would be so thrilled to see you there.